attitude is there that I am performing these actions for the sake of Lord and not for any individual benefit to me. <coughs> so it is personal reward that we are talking about here as we say that we will perform an action. Not only action is an outcome which is in keeping with the action but then I am also generally seeking a personal reward in terms of a certain sense of gratification. Either it may be some sense gratification or some ego gratification some kind of personal reward I am seeking and that makes me that makes me just the result as either success or failure because if I am able to get the reward that I am seeking personally then I judge the result as success and when I do not personally get the reward I judge the result as failure and as much as everybody has their own standard of what is success and failure that shows that whatever it is that makes them gain that personal reward that is what will they will call success in short there is a need for gratification there is an inner void and inner inner unhappiness or sadness or inadequacy and so the human mind naturally looks for happiness which is what we mean by gratification happiness seeking happiness means seeking gratification we seek happiness of sense organs through sense objects we call it sense gratification we also need, emo we seek emotional gratification. We also seek intellectual gratification. 
ego gratification. So even when I am seeking to know more and more things at the intellectual level which gives me happiness, that's an intellectual gratification. Or when I am seeking power, when I am seeking control, when I am seeking recognition, that is this gratification at the level of ego. So usually, as a result of performing an action, I, ex I expect some appreciation, some recognition. So, that is why people sometimes say, Swamiji, I work so hard, I cook for so many hours, all these people ate, nobody even told me one word, you know, that they enjoyed the food. So, not only that I cook food and that they eat, that's the outcome of cooking and eating. But further outcome that I desire is that, at least they should tell me some good words, so that I feel encouraged. They call it ego gratification, that people require ego gratification. They do. And we are only talking about those people who have become free from the need of an ego gratification. Or those who realize that there is no end to the ego gratification, that we would discover some better gratification. So gratification we always need, but as long as we are seeking this lower forms of gratification, we'll never discover the higher gratification that comes from within myself. So mind needs gratification. And we want the mind, in fact, to discover a permanent or, you know, permanent gratification. But as long as it hung up with these impermanent things, so long it will never discover the permanent. And that's where the need to, to, to withdraw or need to give up, need to drop off these expectations of this impermanent gratification. So this is what we mean by karma phala asakti, attachment to karma phala, attachment to the result. <coughs> You giving that up, what does he get? Shanti He gets naistik, he gets the eternal peace which comes from the self. So as we said, either the mind can have gratification coming from outside, or it would have gratification coming from inside. It is true that there may be time in between where it doesn't have anything. This is so neither here nor there. So I, by my will, I give up my demand for gratification outside world, let us say. But still I have not yet discovered an inner satisfaction, that can happen. And so I am neither here nor there, that can happen. But anyway, that's a pain that one has to accept. A certain amount of pain because whenever I want to, I give up something that is familiar. And I'm, I'm seeking something, uh, or I'm going for something unfamiliar, there may be a certain insecurity and pain involved. So when I deliberately, uh, I deliberately prevent my mind from seeking these normal channels of pleasure, it involves certain self-control, a certain self-denial it involves, with the hope that the mind will discover and inner pleasure, inner happiness, inner gratification as a result of the process of inner purification. <coughs> but this process ultimately will lead to Naishtikim Shantim. He will get that gratification which is eternal gratification. By eternal we mean that is not born, that is without effortless. And as all that we are seek, saying here is that this is process, so-called process of renunciation is nothing but the process of giving up 
the obstacles which are only depriving me of that gratification which is my nature. The happiness which is my right in fact. I should be all the time happy in fact but I am not because some obstacles in the form of as we say this, this misconceptions about myself and the world so that is what blocking, blocking them. So as they are given up so great na- happiness which is my own nature just becomes manifest. So when we say Shanti this person is attained that everlasting peace which means that all the obstacles obstructing that peace have been eliminated and that is the renunciation that we are talking about. So when we say likes and dislikes all of these are nothing but obstructing the manifestation of happiness which is my nature. The very extrovertedness that means that very tendency of seeking happiness from outside that very tendency is is in fact is an obstacle because that keeps my mind directed outward and then it is necessary that my mind direct it to itself to be able to experience or see what it is. So this very extrovertedness, this very conclusion on my part that what I am seeking is outside of myself keeps my mind away. And so it is basically to become free from that tendency that what I am seeking in life is to be found from outside, that happiness is to be found from outside. The happiness comes from the sense pleasure objects or happiness comes from these material achievements. This conclusion is there. Slowly you have to become free from that. <coughs> and so this is a process. The process of renouncing that kind of extrovertedness. Renouncing that habitual tendency of always running out seeking pleasures. <coughs> but on the other hand, Ayukta Ayukta means one who is not a yogi. That means one who does not perform actions for the sake of God, as we said, yogi. Ayukta, one who performs actions only for his own gratification. Kamakarena, phale saktonibadhyade. So Kamakarena, in as much as he is all the time driven by Kama or the desire. Kama means desire. So this is a person who is always driven by desires. Kama preritaha. So now, do I perform an action as driven by my desire to seek sense pleasures or gratification? Or do I perform an action with an attitude that I want to perform an action as an offering to the Lord? So do, does my action become a means of this offering to the Lord? Or does my action become a means of fulfilling my desire? So Karma Yogi is the one who looks upon the action as a means of offering to the Lord. This other fellow, who is what we call a samsari, he is always driven by his desires and therefore looks upon action as a means of fulfilling his desires. Ayuktaha, Kamakarana, Phale Saktaha and therefore attached to the outcome because you see for him action is not important for karma yogi action is important outcome is not important when we say not important meaning not important as far as personal gratification is concerned for a samsari for a yogi outcome is important not action 
For one, the means is important, not the end. This, for this person, end is important, not the means. And therefore, his action is always performed in a manner. He will perform those actions in such manner as to bring about a desired outcome for fulfilling his personal desires. So, phale sakta therefore, attached to phala, attached to the outcome. Nibadhyade, he gets more and more bound and more and more entangled. In short, this whole game or this whole pursuit rather of seeking happiness from outside of myself just makes me more and more entangled. Because I am seeking something from where it is not. As we've been saying, if a thing did have the happiness and if I was searching for it, or that's okay. But in fact, happiness is not there. It's just an illusion or delusion on my part that the objects or things can give me happiness. And that being an illusion, I can never really get what I'm seeking. Nibadhyade and therefore, more and more disappointment and more and more activities, more and more outgoing. And this is how, not only that, but he's... Uh, because he it slowly and slowly gets more and more controlled by likes and dislikes. As we said that when an action is performed by likes and dislikes, it perpetuates likes and dislikes. It produces more and more. To give an example, I perform an action because a certain end or result is important to me. And the result comes. I judge that result. Oh, I got what I expected. I'm successful. I'm happy. So that creates a reaction of elation from me and a self-congratulation. All of the result is not in keeping my expectation. I judge it a failure. I am unhappy or I am sad or depressed. And I condemn myself because I judge myself as a failure. And so judging myself as successful and judging myself as failure. Both of these only increase likes and dislikes. Because I always want to be successful. Or I always want to avoid the failure. I always want the result to be in keeping with my expectation and avoid all and not revealing to face that which is which is not in keeping with my expectation. A karma yogi is the one who is willing to accept the result as it comes. And this is what we call prasada buddhi. He realizes that it is not he who is the author of the result, but it is the laws that are author of the result. And so he looks upon the result of the outcome as something that is offered to him by God. And therefore, he accepts that outcome in a very humble manner as, as a prasada or as a gift of God. He does not judge them as success or failure. And therefore, does not react to them with either pride or depression. On the other hand, this other person, because his happiness or security depends upon the result, he keeps on judging them as success and failure and thus keeps on reacting them either with elation or depression. And thus, action performed from the basis of likes and dislikes creates likes and dislikes. We should perform further actions, further likes and dislikes. This is what we call Nibadhyate. He gets further bound, which means that he gets more and more entangled into these likes and dislikes. He gets more and more controlled by likes and dislikes, by his desires, by his impulses. <coughs> So this is called bondage when I do not have my freedom, that's all. That what I do is not determined by me. What I do is determined by my attachments, by my desires, by my likes and dislikes. So they determine what I do. And therefore a time can come that they may prompt me, they may compel me to do, even go against my own values. 
So this is how even the Asuri Vrittis or the demoniac tendencies also slowly come. So when a person surrenders himself to the desires and to likes and dislikes, he gets controlled by them. They keep on perpetuating and ultimately even bring about the intensity of this anger and lust and all these low and demoniac tendencies. He falls further and further into what we call this downfall into devolution. <coughs> this verse is told us to show the contrast between a person who is committed to yoga and a person who is committed to bhoga. There are two lifestyles. Yoga and bhoga. Bhoga means a lifestyle merely uh, dedicated to seeking pleasures. And yoga is a lifestyle that is dedicated to inner purification or self-growth. So, in order to be a yogi, it does require what we call an understanding of our life. As we have been saying a number of times, there is no doubt that I am seeking happiness. But that happiness is something to be discovered from my own self and not outside of myself. If this understanding is there, if this firm conviction is there, then his actions are performed, not for seeking happiness outside, actions are performed as a means of getting rid of his likes and dislikes. On the other hand, for a person who has concluded the happiness to be found out of myself, his actions are all only performed seeking happiness outside of himself. And this extrovertedness, the dependence, keeps on growing. So one, as we say, is a path of freedom, other is the path of further bondage. That's why one called is a path of yoga, other is the path of bhoga. One is path of shreyaha, other is path of prayaha. <coughs> to contrast, this twelfth verse gives us the picture of these two persons here. Thus in these verses, Lord Krishna has described karma yoga. And now he proceeds to describe what we call the sannyasi, the vidvat sannyasi, meaning one who has attained that perfection as a result of karma yoga and pursuit of knowledge, one who has attained that perfection, how is he? Now the subsequent verses only are a description, to the end of this chapter essentially, are a description of such a person. <coughs> so we are told in the 13th verse here, Sarvakarmani manasa, Sarvakarmani manasa, Sanyasya ste sukhamvashi, Sanyasya ste sukhamvashi, Navadvare pure dehi, Navadvare pure dehi, Naiva kurvanna karayan, Naiva kurvanna karayan. Sarva karmani manasa sanyasya aste sukham vashi. There is vashi. Vashi means one, vasha means control. Vashi means one who is self-controlled. So one who is a master of himself. A swami in the real sense of the word. Swami means a master. And when you talk about master, master of his own self. They say that if you master yourself, you master the world. Master your own mind, you master the world. There is nothing that can make you feel helpless if you are master of your own mind. 
So Vashi means one who is, who is master of himself, one who has attained a total self-control. Not so much by suppressing the mind or forcing the mind. Not by any kind of an effort. As we say, by getting rid from the mind all those tendencies which make the mind, which, which control the mind. Meaning that getting rid from the mind, dislikes and dislikes and all these tendencies which make the mind distracted. Which is what makes it difficult for me to control my mind. So the Vedantic way of control of the mind is not so much manipulating the mind as removing the very causes which create distraction or agitation in the mind. The reason why I have a difficulty in controlling my mind is that my mind is too agitated. Agitated because of attractions and aversions. So therefore, rather than keeping, so one can keep those attachments and aversions intact and try to manipulate the mind. Or deal with the mind so as to resolve those attachments and aversions. So karma yoga is a process of slowly and slowly getting rid of these likes and dislikes, ragadveshas, attachments, aversions for the mind. And as we discussed earlier, mind itself becomes quiet. Because quietude is the nature of the mind. By nature, mind is pure. By nature, mind is tranquil. It is this, what we call the foreign elements such as likes and dislikes which have been only acquired because of aviveka or non-discrimination because of non-intelligent living or unintelligent living that have inadvertently acquired these attachments and aversions acquired anger and greed etc and that is why my mind at the moment has become very unsteady has become restless has become difficult to control and therefore with viveka with discrimination, just get rid of those, keep on resolving the likes and dislikes. As we said, by completely changing the whole pattern, the mind which is generally running out towards sense objects, slowly and slowly making it abide in itself, abide in the self. So, by, through this process of yoga. So here, yoga also does that. When you talk of the yoga, the definition of yoga is that means a stoppage of all the thoughts. Here we also do that except that we want to remove all the factors in the mind which create distractions or disturbance. And that is why Lord Krishna has prescribed karma, action, as a means of accomplishing that. So perform an action with this attitude. Perform an action with the attitude of offering, that very attitude slowly and slowly gets rid of the selfishness and the likes and dislikes that are generated from selfishness. And so it's that same process is there by which the mind discovers a tranquility. Because that is, as you said, the, the nature of mind itself. And so we get rid of these impurities which are foreign. Just as water by nature is pure and impurity in water are only uh, foreign. That's the reason why we can purify the water. Similarly also what we call impurities of the mind, these tendencies also 
are not the nature of the mind, therefore they are gotten rid of and mind becomes naturally tranquil or transparent. And that mind is under one's own control. As I said, that mind becomes favorable to me. And one who possesses that mind is called Vashi here. Vashi means one who is self-controlled. That means one who does not have to exercise any kind of an effort to control the mind because mind itself has become favorable. So the whole personality has become favorable, has become placid, has become cheerful, has become automatically joyful, which is its nature. <coughs> what does he done? So this is done, this is a description of a wise person for whom the mind is totally under control, totally favorable. Sarva karmani manasa sanyasya Sanyasya is renounced, so given up sarva karmani, all the actions. How is he renounced the actions? Manasa. So manasa means by the mind or by the knowledge. It is by knowledge that he has renounced all the actions. What do you think is knowledge? The knowledge is this, that I never perform actions. If my identification is with this body, then I am a performer of action because body performs actions. If my identification is with the self, then I recognize that I never perform actions because Atma, the self, is actionless. And therefore, on account of identification and abiding in the knowledge of the Self, he knows, Nevakinchit Karomiri, I do not do anything. That all the actions get performed in my presence. Indriyani, Indriyarteshu, Vartande. That what is called an action is nothing but the interaction between sense organs and sense objects. There is correction. Interaction between sense organs and sense objects which interaction takes place in presence of the self. But as we said, Atma, the self, does not act, does not participate. It just by its mere presence, everything happens. And so one who has a knowledge of the self in this manner, knows the self is actionless. And as described in the earlier verses, in the described seventh, eighth and ninth verses, where it said, Naivakinjit karomiri, I do not do anything. So that same person is described here. In the verses 8 and 9, Lord Krishna describes this person, this wise person, who says, Naivakinchit karomiri, I do not do anything. It's not that he declares that I do not do anything. In fact, he does not do anything. In fact, nobody does anything. Nobody, in fact, Atma never does anything. When I say that I do something, it, is, it only shows my ignorance, nothing else. So when I say that I do, when I'm, I say that I am speaking, that just that notion that I am a speaker arises on account of my identification with the organ of speech. When I declare that I am hearing or I am listening, that notion on my part also arises on account of identification with the organ of hearing. Because who hears? We say organ of hearing hears. Who speaks? The organ of speech speaks. Who walks? The organ of motion walks. And thus, actions are performed at the level of senses and at the level of the mind. Only when I have the identification of the senses in the mind, then I declare that I am doing something. Ahankara vimudhatma 
कर्ताहम इतमन्यते इस ओनली वन इज अहंकार आइडेंटिफिकेशन विथ दिस बॉडी माइंड इंटेलेक्ट कॉम्प्लेक्स दैट ही सेज दैट आई डू थिंग्स व्हिच एवरीबॉडी सेज व्हिच एवरीबॉडी हैज दैट आइडेंटिफिकेशन बट हियर इज दिस वन हु हैज बिकम फ्री फ्रॉम दैट आइडेंटिफिकेशन व्हिच मींस वन हु हैज नोन बाय डिस्क्रिमिनेटिव नॉलेज द डिफरेंस बिटवीन द सेल्फ एंड द नॉन सेल्फ and one who therefore does not identify himself with his body mind complex he knows himself through the witness of his complex as shankaracharya would say chidananda roopah shivoham who am i chidananda roopah of the nature of chit awareness ananda shiva i am manobuddhyahankara chittan i am not the mind i am not the buddhi i am not chitta i am not the ahankara i am not this way is डिस्क्रिमिनेशन बिटवीन दियर एंड दीन दृढ़ दृश्य the seer and the seen that's what is going to be taught in september but this is called drukdrishya viveka discrimination between the subject and object that i am the subject i know this whole world is object because it's different from me so i know that whatever i perceive is different from me the perceiver is always different from what is perceived simple simple rule the perceiver is different from what is perceived this glass here is perceived by me if i am not the glass this clock is perceived by me i am not the clock i have no problem with reference as long as as far as things outside of this boundary of the body are concerned i have no problem i i never have problem that i am a fan or i am a book or i am a table or something like that no such problem and that is good when that happens then i require i have to be institutionalized or whatever you know so when that happens then it's a problem But usually that is not the problem. Therefore, if a tree falls down, I don't say that I have fallen down because I know the difference between the tree, the object, and I the subject. However, when it comes to this body, this discrimination of mind somehow seems to suffer. But even though body also is an object of my perception, as much as the table is the object of perception. the body also is object of perception object of knowledge i know the body as from you would say in fact i know it more intimately than anything else i know every every ache and pain anywhere taking place in the body and therefore body is very much an object of my awareness and what is an object of my awareness i am not but somehow that discrimination doesn't seem to work here similarly my sense organs I know that the body is the dwelling place. The sense organs of perception are the instruments I have to to gain to perceive things. So eyes are an instrument that I have to perceive forms and colors. The ears are an instrument to hear the sounds. So these are various instruments, and I am the user of the instrument. I cannot be the instrument. The glasses are an instrument for me to see. I am not the glasses. Very clear. They give the example of a carpenter. How a carpenter during the day 
performs various activities with his tools and the evening the activities are over he takes all the tools puts them in a box of course here they were truck and stuff like that but in India you know in India you would have a box he takes all the tools puts them in a box no more a carpenter in the morning again becomes a carpenter then he becomes a human being or you know morning he takes up the tool and starts functioning with them so the carpenter who uses the tools to perform some activities is different from tools that much we would accept Similarly, I also do that. When I go to sleep at night, all the tools, organs of action, organs of perception, all of them are kept in a box. I don't use them. Only when I wake up in the morning, I take up all the tools again. All my organs of perception I take up, all the organs of action I take up, during the day I perform a variety of activities with them. At night, I put them away in the box. So this shows that these organs of perception, organs of action are also uh, instruments or tools that I have to perform various functions. The one who uses the tools must be different from the tools. So body is my dwelling place, the organs of action and perception are the various tools I have to perform the different activities, to contact the world. My mind also, so my mind also is an instrument is to perform different actions of knowing, of perceiving, of remembering, of feeling, of reacting and so forth and so all the activities that I perform, mind also is an instrument and therefore I am not the mind also this is fine but that doesn't seem to work what I am saying is when it comes to this body-mind complex somehow this discrimination between subject and object does not seem to work and even though this body, the sense organs, mind, all of these are in the category of object because they are objects of awareness, I still take them to be I. This is called identification. So the ordinary person has an identification and therefore he takes himself a body. Well here, see the second line, Navadvare Pure Dehi. Dehi means indwelling in body. Who is a wise man? Wise man knows himself to be indweller of the body. The other wise person knows himself to be the body. That's the big difference. So I take myself to be the body. Well, he knows himself to be the indweller of the body. That's a big difference. When I have the discrimination that I am not the body, then I know that, yes, I have a special association with the body, no doubt. I am not the body. Even though I have a special association with the body, this body has been extremely good to me, has been very useful to me. It has been the instrument of my knowledge. It has been, in fact, the instrument for, for gaining liberation. It's a wonderful thing, but I am not the body. He knows himself to be the indweller of the body, that I dwell in the body. Body is my dwelling place. While an ignorant person, takes the body and he says, I am dwelling into the house. That's the difference. So, if you ask me, Swami, where are you sitting? I am sitting on the asana, I would say. What, what would he say? I am sitting in the body. When I say I am sitting on the asana, what does it mean? What is sitting on the asana? 
What is what is sitting on the dais? This body is sitting on the dais. What do I say? I am sitting on the dais. Which means that I am equating myself to the body. If you ask him what would he say? I am sitting in the body. He may not say that. Even he may also say that I am sitting on the dais. But inside he knows that it is a body that is sitting on the dais. And I am the one who is dwelling in the body. By dwelling we mean who has a very special association with the body. But different from the body nevertheless. So he is a Dehi. In Sanskrit, Dehi means Deha Asti Asti Dehi. One who possesses body is called Dehi. One, so here, one who dwells in the body is called Dehi. The embodied one. Not the body, but the embodied one. So he knows himself as the embodied one. And he is Vashi, one with a perfect control over his personality. He has renounced all the actions, Manasa, Viveka Buddhya, by Viveka Buddhya. By his knowledge that I am not his Upadhi, all the actions are performed at the level of Upadhi, at the level of body, at the level of senses, at the level of mind, at the level of intellect, all the actions are performed. They are performed in my presence. Even when all the actions are being performed, I am the actionless self. This very knowledge is called renunciation of all actions. understand that renunciation also is not an action. Renunciation is knowledge. So this is the renunciate of the highest order. He may not necessarily be wearing the clothes of a renunciate also. Lord Krishna never describes the renunciate in Gita by his uh, what kind of hairstyle he has or what kind of clothes he is wearing or what language he is speaking. This that's you know, he's never described that way. He's always described with reference to his wisdom. And here, this is wisdom. karomiti. I do not do anything. I am actionless. It is by this knowledge. This knowledge is the renunciation of all the actions. Because there is no renunciation. In fact, as we say, the self never performs action. For me to say that I perform action is only shows, it only shows my ignorance or shows the identification with this body-mind complex. One is free from that identification, knows I do not perform the actions. He is said to be one who has renounced all the actions. But if he has renounced all the actions, now is there any purpose for him to continue to live? Well, he continues to live anyway because of prarabdha karma, because of what we call the destiny. His body has its own destiny. He doesn't have anything to achieve, no doubt. But the body follows the laws of nature. The body is created by the laws of nature, and the body is sustained by the laws of nature. And one day, body will drop off also by the laws of nature. But he does not interfere with the laws of nature. Therefore. The body continues its journey. Therefore, there is an entity called a wise man or a wise person, otherwise there would have been no such entity. Because if the body dropped off, so when the knowledge, when he became free, 
So when he became, when he became a wise person or a person abiding knowledge with no agenda remaining now, there is no need for him to exist even in a given embodiment. So some people even believe that when this wisdom takes place, the body will drop off because body has no purpose to survive. We say that body has no purpose to survive as far as he is concerned, but it may have purpose to serve as far as the world is concerned. So, so far the body was serving his purpose, now the body will serve the purpose of the world. As we have been saying, he becomes an instrument in the hands of the destiny. Thus he continues to exist and continues to function. Except now, he is surrendered to, or he is, you know, his, even his free will also is surrendered to what we call at the altar of the totality, at the altar of God, at the altar of the scheme of things. Where does he live? Lord Krishna gives a nice description. Navadvare Pure. He dwells in the city of nine gates. This body, this body-mind complex is compared to a city having nine gates. This is all we are familiar with, these nine gates. They say there are seven gates on my face itself, two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, and my mouth, these are the seven openings. And the nine gates, then the two lower openings for excretion, etc. So this makes nine gates. And thus, this person, this wise person, dwells in a palace or in a city having nine gates. Why is this body compared to a city? This is to be found in the Upanishad also. Puramekadashadvaram ajasya vakrachedasaha says Kathopanishad that this is a city of eleven gates. There they talk of eleven gates. Here Lord Krishna talks of nine gates. You can add to more openings opening here which is, uh, you know, uh, in the abdomen, in the abdomen and supposedly one opening here in the crown of the head that makes it eleven, whatever. But this body, that is this body-mind complex is compared to a city. There is a very, uh, there is a purpose behind describing the city. There are many features that the body has which are comparable to a city also. Like the city has a wall which encloses it and it has a certain number of gates and only when those gates are open that you can leave the city or enter the city. And similarly also there is a wall here and there are gates as we just said the organs of perception are the gates and at night all the gates close down the city nobody can enter nobody can go out. In the morning the gates open then alone the transaction takes place. Similarly also here when I go to sleep, at night, all the gates are closed. All the organs of perception are closed and therefore the sense of objects cannot enter my mind, my mind cannot go out. This is how in the morning again the gates open, all the transaction again takes place. And many such other compare features are there, similarities are there because of which the city, this body, mind complex is compared to city. But city shows that there must be a ruler of the city. When there is a town or a city, then we know that there must be a king. 
because otherwise people won't live there. And particularly when we find that everything in the town is going on systematically. Everybody performs their appointed functions. Then we know that the king must be there because of whose presence everybody performs their functions as appointed. And here in our body also, everybody performs their appointed functions. There are these gates. Our sense organs of perception are called the gatekeepers. The mind is the minister. The ego, the ego is the prince. And so, this is how the comparisons are made. And all of these perform their functions very obediently. That shows that there must be somebody, somebody, some, like a king, who must be presiding over them. So, Atma, the self, is Rajasthaniya, is in the place of the king. In an ordinary city also, the king does not participate. King doesn't do anything. King just is there in his presence, things take place. And in Sanskrit, king is called Raja. <coughs> Rajan. So, Rajate, Virajate, one who shines. One of the meaning words is, uh, word Raja, because of course, Ranjanat Raja, who entertains and makes, I mean, keeps everybody happy. But also, one who Rajate, one who shines. And the king usually shines in the midst of the people. Because always there is a certain luster about him. He always has a certain kind of, you know, he has a certain impact upon other people. And therefore, by his very presence, things take place. So here, by king is meant someone whose presence is enough for all the activities in the city to take place. Similarly also, in this body-mind complex, there is someone in the place of a king. Again, king always has a palace in the center somewhere, you know. Here there is a palace, which is what we call the heart, which is supposed to be a dwelling place of the self. And he dwells in the heart, ruling over everybody, presiding over everybody, without participating in anything. Sometimes the city limits grow, but the king doesn't grow. Sometimes the limits shrink, the king doesn't shrink. Which means that various changes taking place in the city of growing and shrinking do not affect the king. Similarly also, whatever changes take place in this body-mind complex do not affect the self, the atma, the consciousness who eliminates everything, who presides over everything. So just as the king is different from the city, similarly also, atma, the self, is different from the city. Just as in the presence of the king, the city functions. So also in the presence of the self, this city Module is this kind of a module is given, model of a city. <coughs> Lord Krishna uses that yet. Navadvare pure dehi. Dehi means the indweller of the body, indweller of the city, like a king. He, sukham aste, he lives happily. He lives happily in the city of the body. Why, why is he happy? Because totally relaxed. There's no load at all, no burden. For example, as we said the other day, how in the state of deep sleep, I am totally relaxed. 
because I'm totally free from all the complexes because I have no identification with my body or my sense organs or my mind and therefore there is no self-consciousness. Therefore I'm totally free. So what is accomplished in the deep blue state, as they say, by the direct of nature, in case of this person, has been accomplished consciously. Means he is not identified with his body-mind complex and therefore he is free from all complexes. And that's the, that is what actually keeps us burdened. What makes me wear down is not so much the physical activity as much as the various stresses born of various complexes. Because every complex is a big burden to carry. When I say that I am successful, that also a complex is also a burden to carry because then I am obliged to be always successful. Once a fellow gets, uh, you know, he is number one, the first rank in the class. In the seventh grade, he is number one in the class. That's all. The stresses begin. Because eighth grade also, people will ask, what is your rank? I remember when we were studying in the schools in our town, on the day of the result, all the boys, they returned from the school. And people, you know, of our neighborhood, what we call our streets, they are all waiting at the gate. Asking everybody, what is your score? What's your rank? Why do you have, you know? They keep track of you. And so they know that this person was number, he was first rank. Not only in his class, in all the classes. So then, next year when he returns, so what is your, what is your rank? Second rank. That's all. Gone. Now you feel as though you failed, you know? Even though you are second rank, which is, you know, it's a good performance, but it's not first rank. So once you get first rank, that is then as though a certain amount of responsibility to retain, maintain that. So success also has its own stresses. And of course, you fail, there is no question of the stress. Therefore, any kind of a, any kind of a complex I have about myself, there is always going to be problems associated with that. As I said, Swami says, there are problems associated with the role. Every role has its own problem. Beggar has his own problems, beggarly problems, king has his own problems. There is no one that is free from problems. Every role is a problem. If I know the role is a role, then there is a problem. But if I identify the role, then the problems of the role become my problem. So if I am father, problems. Mother, problems. Daughter, problems. Mother-in-law, problems. Daughter-in-law, or whatever. Once there is a certain designation that I get, problem. As Swami you describe, you know, this, this father has a son, an 18-year-old son who is dropped off from school. And by hook and crook he managed to get a motorbike from his father. So he rides his motorbike and he has removed his silencer from there so that he can announce his presence wherever he goes. And he wears a shirt of which he doesn't, you know, tie the buttons, unbuttoned shirt he wears, so that his chest can be, you know, can be displayed. And then he wears a, a, a little necklace, golden necklace, you know, that is his mother has given him, which also he exhibits, unlike that. And then he's going on his motorbike. His father thinks of the son, and he thinks of the son, he has a blood pressure. So father means problem. Mother also means problem. Because um, when my son doesn't do what I want him to do, problem. If he does what I want him to do, then also problem, because then my expectations always grow. 
That's okay. There's nothing right or wrong about it. This is how it is. The point is that one cannot be at ease as long as one, any identification is there, any kind of identification, the role is there, any complexes are there, any kind of ego is there, <coughs> self-consciousness is there. There's no way that a person can be relaxed. <coughs> this one is free from all the complexes. So Lord Krishna says, Sukham Aste. <coughs> he lives here relaxed. Even when I declare myself as a doer, as an agent of action, then also there is a tension. I am performing this action, therefore it must be performed in a certain way. There is always a sense of responsibility that goes with a sense of doership. Which is a stress. This person has no responsibility also because he knows I don't do anything. Swami is an irresponsible person. Not an irresponsible person. He is a spontaneous person. Therefore, no effort is required on his part to do anything also. Because, as we say, he does not come in the way of the scheme of things. When he has totally delivered himself on the, on the hands of the destiny, when he does not in any way interfere with the scheme of the destiny, then automatically his body-mind complex functions in keeping with the scheme of the destiny. So he knows that is what does everything. I am just a witness. Even you and I are also witness. Accept that. With our ahankara and namakara, the I-ness and minus, we keep on interfering. <coughs> we do not let things take their own course, we keep on interfering. <coughs> the wise person does not interfere. To such an extent that uh, Ramana Maharshi was uh, diagnosed with cancer, sarcoma. And then some of his disciples asked him, why don't you cure this with your spiritual power? So he says, no, I don't want to interfere with the destiny. Let destiny take its own course. I mean, this is an example. But in general, he does not see the need to interfere. You need to interfere when you are not happy with the way things are. The reason why I must interfere, reason why I must change, reason why I must assert, is because I am not happy with the way things are. But suppose I am happy with the way everything is. Then there is no need to. So where is the motivation? What will happen to the world? What will, how will progress happen? Don't bother about this progress, you know. Because, I mean, the progress takes place by itself. He just presides over everything. He does not interfere in anything. <coughs> Therefore, always relax. Always happy. Sukham Master. Even though he may be appearing to perform a lot of activities, these people do much more work than we do. Because there is no stress. The reason why we get worn out is because of stress. Physically, of course, there may be stress, but basic stress is all emotional. He is totally free from all these problems, therefore, so Kamaste always relax, happy. What does he do? Naiva Kurvan, he does not do anything. He doesn't do anything. Does he make other people do anything? Naivakaran. He doesn't make anybody also do. So this question arose. All right, he has renounced, basically as we said, the sense of doership arises because of identification with his body-mind complex, which, which does everything. That does everything, but then it's doership I impose upon myself and I declare myself to be the doer. 
And it is just like watching a movie. I am just really a spectator. But I become so identified with what's going on in the movie that when that fellow is crying there, I also start crying. There is superimposing what belongs in one place, superimposing upon something else. Similarly also, an ignorant person keeps on identifying with his body-mind complex and superimposes the activities. These things do the activity, but he identifies with them and he says, I do the activities. That's why he becomes a doer. <coughs> and so I say that I do things. And I make other people also do. You do this, you do that. That is called karetrutvam. Kartrutvam and karetrutvam. Doing and prompting others to do or making others to do. Cause of. Either I do things or I become a cause of someone else's doing. Alright, this wise man does not superimpose the doing of this body-mind complex. That's okay. But is it not that the Atma itself does something? Just now. Atma does not do anything, nor makes anybody do anything. Doesn't Atma tell the mind to do things? Doesn't Atma tell the eyes to go and see things? No. Atma is just the presence. In presence of it, everything takes place. And therefore, Naiva Kurvan, he knows, I do not do anything. Nakaryan, he does not even ask his sense organs, mind, anything to do. They all engage in activities on their own. He is just, as I said, the mere presence. Naiva Kurvan, Nakaryan, performing no action and not causing others to act also. When you look at Arjuna and Lord Krishna, Arjuna performs all the actions and Lord Krishna causes him to perform action, you know. So Lord Krishna doesn't fight. He declared in the beginning that I will not wield any weapons. The condition, when Arjuna and Duryodhana, both of them went, seeking help of Lord Krishna, the Lord Krishna said, okay, on one side is my army, of one Akshohini well-equipped army, on the other side I am there. But the condition is that I will not wield any weapons. I will not fight will not wield any weapons. So you choose who you want. Arjuna chose Lord Krishna. So he had made himself very clear that I will not do anything. He doesn't do anything, but he makes Arjuna do things, looks like, you know. So here he clears up. Naiva kurvan nakaran. Arjuna, I don't do anything, nor do I make anybody do anything also. That means a wise person does not do anything, nor cause anybody to do anything. All doing and causing take place by the laws of nature, and therefore I do not do anything. <coughs> Meaning that I do not in any way interfere with anything. You can imagine yourself not interfering with anything. But me accepting everything as it is supposed. Imagine without right now forgetting about what will happen to the world and what will happen to progress and stuff like that. Suppose forgetting about that for the time being. And imagine that I am I am happy with the way everything is, as it is. But Swamiji, look at that, you know, there is this cobweb there, fine. Oh Swamiji, there is some dirt lying there, okay. There is too much salt in the dal, okay. Whatever it is, suppose is okay. Not out of insensitivity, not out of laziness, out of understanding that everything is perfect as it is. Purna madaha, purna vidam. That there is a reason why everything is what it is, and it is fine. Everything has its own beauty. 
everything is in the in keeping with the basic harmony suppose this is my perception then I see no need to change, change anything because as it is it is fine why should I change anything and if it changes by itself then also it is fine therefore I need not prevent the change sometimes either I want to change or I want to stop the change two ways sometimes things want to go away and I want to hold on to them sometimes they don't want to come I want them to come to me so sometimes I change things or sometimes I want to stop the change that is also a way of changing he does not see the need at all because as it is everything is fine if it changes then also it is fine suppose this is so then there is no need at all to interfere so this is what is said here <coughs> that he finds everything perfect purna madaha purna vidam I am also purna idam this also is purna and therefore with nevakurvan nakaryan not interfering not doing anything not causing anybody to do anything although this does not describe the uh, the physical condition even though this wise person may be doing a lot of things and still is not doing from his own standpoint he does not do anything from so standpoint of onlookers he may be doing a lot of things from his own standpoint he does not do anything he other people may feel that he is making others also do from his own standpoint he doesn't make them do also <coughs> so one who therefore enjoys a perfect harmony in the scheme of things this is Sukhamastha and therefore he dwells very happily in a relaxed manner free from every kind of burden free from every kind of stress free from every kind of complex so this is a sannyasi this verse describes the sannyasi renunciation what we call vidvat sannyasi that means a sannyasi renunciation as a consequence of knowledge as a consequence of wisdom and that is sannyasa that Lord Krishna teaches he wants everybody to become this sannyasa of course for seeking that sannyasa the sannyasa in the form of lifestyle that is sannyasa called sannyasa which is of the nature of lifestyle which is what we call vividisha sannyasa that means the sannyasa taken for the pursuit of knowledge but that will be sannyasa or renunciation in a secondary sense sannyasa is a lifestyle is secondary in nature sannyasa in terms of wisdom is a sannyasa in the primary sense <coughs> and in the 14th verse Lord Krishna clarifies how come he does not do anything or he does not make anybody do anything that's just the nature of the self and that nature of the self is described in the 14th verse स्वभावस्तुप्रवर्तते Prabhu Prabhu means Lord in this case Prabhu is the Atma the Self <coughs> Prabhu 
So Atma, the self, is is here indicated by the word Prabhu. Prabhu means a master. Prabhu means a lord. Because we just said that he is described as the indweller of the city with nine gates. And therefore he is in the place of a king. So we say just as a king is with reference to a city, so also Atma the self is with reference to the city of this body-mind complex. And so we call king a Prabhu. Prabhu means a master. In that sense, Atma is called Prabhu, the one who is a master of this body-mind complex. As we said, in whose presence this complex functions, who enlivens the complex, in whose presence everything takes place, so he is a master, the Prabhu, the Atma self. Na kartrutvam srijati, na karmani srijati. Na kartrutvam srijati creates neither doership, na karmani srijati, nor action, locusti for the world. This is an interesting way of describing. Kartrutvam na srijati, he does not create the doership. What do you mean by he does not create doership? That means he, see, I. I say that I create doership when I say, do this, suppose I ask you, do something. And when you do, then what have I done? Created doership in you. That means I cause you to do something. In short, creating doership means causing someone to do something. Do this. When I say, that means I am causing doership in you. Or I am causing you to do. So when it is said, na kartrutvam prabhu srijati, atma, the self, does not create worship, meaning the self does not cause anybody to do anything. It does not cause your mind, does not cause even sense organs, does not cause anything to do anything. Na karma srijati. Karma means an object. Or action in this case, na karma srijati. He does not cause action also, which means he himself also does not do anything. The self neither does anything, nor causes anybody or anyone to do anything. Na karma phala sanyogam. See, this is quite different from what we understand God to be. On one hand we say that, God, Prabhu means God, He does everything. Not a leaf also moves without His doing, and therefore whatever happens is all done by God. And His karma phala data, he is a dispenser of the result of the action. So whatever actions are performed by the individuals, he is the one who gives the result. Here it said he doesn't do that also. Na karma phala sanyogam. That means, sanyoga means association or connection. In fact, he does not connect the karta, the doer, with the karma phala. See, the idea is that the karta, the one who performs the action, is the one who must experience also the result of the action. The result of the action will attach itself to the person who has performed the action. That's a general rule. It's not that I do something and you are stuck with the result. That doesn't happen in, in, in God's computer. So there, in this scheme, whoever performs action is also responsible for the result or is the one who must also experience the result. That's the reason why the, the, the other birth is required. Very often he performs actions in this birth Action such that we cannot rectify in this birth, then we must take another birth 
in order to experience the result of those actions. But anyway, so karma phala sanyoga. Sanyoga means connecting this karta, the doer, with the karma phala, the result of the action. It is a doer who must necessarily experience the results of action. Who does that? Na karma phala sanyogam, the self does not even do that. That means that he does not even connect the karta, the doer, with the karma phala. Look at this. He does not do anything. He doesn't make anybody do anything. Nor does he give rise to the result of action. That means he doesn't make anybody experience the result also. So even Bhaktrutum also is not there. He is not an enjoyer, nor anybody, he causes anybody to enjoy. So what this verse means is that the Atma, the Self, does not do anything. That means there is no Kartrutum. Doesn't cause anybody to do anything. At the same time, he himself does not experience anything, nor does he cause anyone to experience anything. There is no Kartrutum nor Bhaktrutum. There is neither doership, nor enjoyership in the Atma. Self is free from doership and enjoyership. And therefore, the wise person who knows himself as a self, also knows himself, is neither enjoyer nor doer. Lord Krishna also says, na karma, name karma limbanti, name karma phalesvaha, the actions do not bind me, nor the result of the actions bind me, because I neither have doership nor enjoyership. So understand that Atma, the self is free from the ideas of kartrutva and bhaktrutva, doership and enjoyership. And this is called samsara. Kartrutva, bhaktrutva, lakshana samsara. Samsara is defined like this. What is samsara? Kartrutva and bhaktrutva is called samsara. Kartrutva, doership. Bhaktrutva, enjoyership. The rule is that the one who is a doer must necessarily become the enjoyer. Because the one who performs action must necessarily also experience the result of action. And therefore, the kartrutva, the doership, causes bhaktrutva enjoyership. An ignorant person takes himself to a doer and enjoyer and suffers from that. Whereas the atma, the self, is neither doer nor enjoyer. Then who does all these things? Who does things? Who enjoys things? Who makes all these connections? Who makes sure that the person who did something must experience the result? Who does all of this? If self does not do, Atma does not do, God does not do, Brahman does not do, then who does it? Svabhavastu pravardade. It is Svabhava. Svabhava means Prakriti. Prakriti means Maya. It is Maya or the nature that does everything. Maya is what? Made of three gunas, Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. From this the whole universe is created. So whole universe is created by Maya. Whole universe is run by the Maya also. And whatever activities take place at any place, in any, at any level, is all done by the Prakriti, is all done by nature. Actions are performed by nature. The results also are given by nature. The results also experienced at the level of nature. All this doing, enjoying, everything takes place at the level of nature, at the level of prakriti, at the level of upadi, at the level of maya. And self is merely, as we said, the presiding principle. In the ninth chapter, Lord Krishna says, 
माया अध्यक्षेण प्रकृति सूयते सचराचरम प्रकृति में माया क्रिएट्स सस्टेन्स डिस्ट्रॉय एवरीथिंग मेरली इन माय प्रेजेंस आई एम जस्ट द अध्यक्ष आई एम द वन हु प्रिसाइज ओवर एवरीथिंग बट इन माय प्रेजेंस एवरीथिंग टेक्स प्लेस सो दैट इज द नेचर ऑफ द सेल्फ एंड दैट इज द नॉलेज ऑफ वाइज पर्सन दैट इज हाउ ही और शी नोस हिज ओन सेल्फ but how about the sin how about the virtue when you perform a good action is it not that the atma becomes virtuous or endowed with punya when you perform an evil action is it not that the atma is stuck with the papa or the sin so 15th verse tells us that nadatte kasya chit papam नादत्ते कस्यचित् पापम् नचैव सुकृतं विभुः नचैव सुकृतं विभुः अज्ञानेनावृतं ज्ञानम् अज्ञानेनावृतं ज्ञानम् तेन मुह्यन्ति जन्तवः तेन मुह्यन्ति जन्तवः नादत्ते कस्यचित् पापम् विभुः In this verse, the word used for Atma is Vibhu, the all-pervasive. You know the word Atma is derived from the root Aap in the sense to pervade. Aapnoti the Atma, one who is all-pervasive is called Atma. Although by the word Atma we understand self and we always feel the self is always confined to this body, etc. But in fact the word Atma means that which is all-pervasive. So Atma, the self, is all-pervasive. Kasyajit papam nadatte does not take anybody's papa. Nachayiva sukrutam nor does he take anybody's punya. So, Atma does not take anybody's merit or why virtue or Atma does not take anybody's vice. The idea is that a virtuous action is performed. Suppose I perform what we call a meritorious action or a virtuous action is called punya. Is it not that Atma becomes Punya Shali or Punya One? Does it not become virtuous? Suppose I perform what we call a sinful action, an evil action, a vicious action. Is it not that Atma becomes vicious? Answer is no. Nadatte kasyachit papam nachayiva sukratam vibhuhu. When papa karma or vicious action is performed, Atma does not become vicious. When Punya karma When virtuous action is performed, Atma does not become virtuous. Which means that he is totally untainted by virtue and vice. He is beyond both virtue and vice, untainted, presiding over the virtue and vice, but still untainted, unaffected by virtue and vice. In short, the self is ever free. Although I take myself to be virtuous, I take myself to be vicious, that I may. It's only because of virtue and vice, which belong to prakriti, which belong to the nature. They are superimposed upon the atma, and then I come to the conclusion that I am a virtuous person, I am a vicious person. Agnyanena avrutam jnanam tena mukhyam nijantavaha It is because of ignorance that people are deluded and look upon themselves as virtuous and vicious. In fact, Atma is ever free from this idea of virtue and vice. 
free from kartrutva and bhokturutva doership and enjoyership as well as free from dharma and adharma virtue and vice so self is ever free not that you to make it free but there is be known to be ever free and so the wise person who knows the self is ever free is free and that is that that freedom is being described in this verses the reason why he is free is because atma is always free is never bound and therefore it is not that he says now that i am now free his knowledge is not that i am now free his knowledge is i was always free so that is i was never bound the bondage was purely purely a notion born of ignorance i was ever free you were free from sense of doership and enjoyership you were free from virtue and vice because there is no ego there is no individuality and this being the nature of the self and this is how wise person knows the self as such and therefore sukhamaste free from every kind of the complex he is always relaxed always happy dwelling in this body and dwelling in the city of the nine gates ever remains <coughs> Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha